This is episode 49 of Offscript with Trish Close, intimate interviews and fun conversations with interesting people. In front of my microphone today is Chris Brown, architect, design, and architecture based in Ashland, correct? Yes. Hello, Chris. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for being here with me. Um, I met you, what was it, like a week ago, two weeks ago for the Cheese Festival? Correct. Actually, um, I was there to interview David Gremmels, and then... This whole other story kind of formed out of meeting, seeing David and talking about the Cheese Festival because we actually ended up talking about Craterworks for the most of the interview. Yes. And that's where I met you. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So um, talk to me a little bit. We're going to talk a lot about Craterworks actually, but you, this building was debuted during the Cheese Festival. Correct. It's uh, very interesting to sort of have a, um, a public festival inside of a construction project when it's at about 75% completion. So... I think it was a unique circumstance that we were able to do so, but um, ultimately I think it worked out very well. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Okay, again, we are going to talk about Craterworks because I have a feeling a lot of people aren't quite sure what that is yet, and they're going to be blown away when they find out what it is. But first of all, where are you from originally? Uh, so I was born down in Mount Shasta, and then I grew up um, in Wairika. Pretty much moved up to Wairika when I was... Um, four years old and, and lived in Wairika until I was 18. Okay. So I'm from South Carolina. So moving out to the West Coast, I lived in Vegas for a while. Never heard of Wairika, California mm -hmm. ever <laughs> until I lived in Medford. So what was it like growing up in Wairika? I would say it was very uh, stable, if that if that works. You know, Wairika is um, one of those places that that doesn't change too much. I think it for for better or worse, I think that that goes both ways. Mm -hmm. It's um, and it it was your I think very prototypical rural uh, you know youthful experience. There. Yeah, I was gonna ask. Stable is that was that a good thing? I mean, like the things that don't change that aren't changing really. Was that a good thing? Yeah, I mean, I was able to grow up um, with kind of all those classic experiences: walking to school every day. Um, you know, next to a park, albeit there were, you know, different circumstances there growing up in the 80s, you know, mm -hmm. finding um, hypodermic needles in the irrigation canals on the walk to school and not knowing much about any of that. It was just, hmm. it was, it wasn't idyllic in any way either. I mean, yeah. Larica's has got its own challenges, but, sure. but as far as growing up with the same group of kids and sharing life experiences and helping kind of find our, our way through it all. I think it was, it was wonderful in that sense. I bet. Did you grow up with siblings? I did. I have a younger sister, uh, Mary. She's two and a half years, my, my younger. Mm -hmm. um, just doing stories within Siskiyou County, it's a ginormous county. Yes. Absolutely huge. And there's a ton of little rural pockets within Siskiyou County. Mm -hmm. Wairika is more of this kind of small town feel, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So you were within Wairika. You guys weren't very rural. Right. Okay. Correct. Yep. So there was no, was there a farm? Was there? Nope. No farm yeah. experience. It was just mostly town life. Yeah. And, um, which was good. My, my father and mother were both foresters initially. Um, my dad on the private side, my mom worked for the forest service and then she later got into education, but um, a lot of time out in the woods. I mean, we'd go out cutting wood on the weekends and but but no real like ag life per se right uh, I was gonna ask you so you said parents were foresters meaning um, I mean are, are we talking about like land protection management kind of both stewards I think in in regards to you know commercial forestry 
as well as um, I think looking to cultivate and protect what they both love, which mm -hmm. is a forest as well. But finding that balance, you know, I think is very important. And, and I've been trying to do the same in my work of, of resource management in a way that, that we can preserve it and sustain it for, you know, the future to come. Right. And um, also keep what we love about this area intact. It's an ongoing forever debate, Absolutely. isn't it? I yep. mean, you look at last summer and there were so many different opinions about, you know, we need to manage forests because that's going to stop wildfires. And other people are like, no, we can't touch the, the forest because wildfires are not. I mean, there's just so many schools of thought and how you manage forests, especially out here. And you look at last summer. I don't know if you were around last summer. Mm -hmm. um, it was pretty gnarly. Yep, absolutely. Well, that was like the third year in a row or something. I mean, we've mm -hmm. been seeing that. I. Growing up, it was like the 87 fires were kind of a very visible, like, milestone in my life. My mom was out downriver on the Klamath working out of the Happy Camp base camps for about three months that summer. So I never, like, saw her, I remember. And um, just the, the pink-red skies at night and, um, you know, but now it feels like that's kind of become a standard for us mm -hmm. here. It's so. sad. Yep, a little bit. Yeah. I don't really get that whole, like... If I can't see the sun for a few days, it doesn't like depress me or anything like that. But I think last summer I went through a little bit of a yep. depression because you can't breathe. You can't be outside. Absolutely. And it's just hot and smoky. It's disgusting. Yes. And I don't know if there's like a fix-all solution to it necessarily. Right. right. I, mean, I think, yeah, management goes a long way, but um, it's also just there's, there's maybe just a time where forests need to burn also. And we, mm -hmm. we happen to be living in the midst of that. I mean, it's it's kind of, we, we live right now in the forest, and it's kind of one of those things when your house is out there, you you have to, I think, be at peace with that in a way. You know, like yeah. if the forest goes, it's going to go. Well, you look at hundreds and hundreds of years ago, you know, forest fire was a natural thing. That's how mm -hmm. Mother Nature basically cleaned up, yep. cleaned house, yep. so to speak. What was your mom doing for the 87 fires? Uh, she was down there in base camps, um, working on support and okay. also doing uh, legal coordination. I'm not sure exactly the details there. Okay. But, yeah. How old were you? Uh, I was seven. Okay. So I do remember like her bringing me home a Superman comic at the end of that stretch and that kind of made up for all the lost time. Aw, yeah. that's a good mama. I <laughs> yeah. like that. So you went to Wairika High School? I did. Okay. Yes. Graduated 98? Yep. 99. 99? Yep. You're a year older, uh, younger than me. Okay. Yeah, I know. So, um, uh, what was that? What was high school like for you? High school was great. You know, it was a lot of fun. Um, had some very good friends through there. Still do. You know, that's the beauty of Siskiyou County. I think in yeah. a way, it's like you, I, I, you can't really run that far from it. You come, you come home, and and it's it's all there, and you're confronted with 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 your childhood and your memories and experiences and everyone that remembers you also. Um, so I, I feel like that's a real uh, fundamental truth of that, of that experience is, is you are still held accountable for what mm -hmm. you did when you were in third grade or seventh grade or 12th grade. Yeah. And, uh, I'm and from a small town in the South. You can't get away with a whole bunch. No, everyone, everyone knows your business. Everyone knows your business. <laughs> and it's in the most endearing it comes from the best place, yes. I think, knowing yep. your business. What yep. comes after high school for you? Uh, so I left um, 
right after graduation there and headed down to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Um, what an awful place to go yeah. to school. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd like to say I, I chose it just for my academic pursuits, but really I, I chose it so that I could um, be close to the ocean and learn how to surf. And, you know, I think the rest came later. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it was definitely like trying to just get as far away as I could um, and see kind of the, the world or the beginnings of the world for me. Yeah. Was that important for you to get far? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's not, you know, in the big picture, it wasn't that far, but at the time it was, it was like a journey to the other side of the earth kind of. I would say that's pretty far for yeah. what, an 18, 17, 18 year old. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty far. Um, yeah. And Cal Poly is a very specialized school, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very much designed for certain majors. Yes. And uh, it's funny because I, I didn't really know much about architecture at the time other than I was intrigued by it. I liked the I always love, have loved art and drawing and, and building as well. And, and at the time, my guidance counselor in high school told me, you can never get into architecture from Wairika. You know, you need to uh, do something more practical mm. like uh, engineering. So I went in as a declared mechanical engineer major. Um, I, spent, I spent a year there and, and knew right away that wasn't going to work for me. Um, so then I kind of had to put it all on the line uh, to make the leap over into architecture, and um, it was accepted the following year. So, nice. Yep. So it paid off. Were Good. you the kid in class that was doodling all the time? I drew a lot on stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, papers, desks, what have you. It was, uh, it was a constant way to, to pass the time. Um, did your art, especially as a young person, did it have a certain theme to it? Um. Sometimes, like, I think it reflected my kind of evolution through different stages of my life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then uh, I remember distinctly feeling after the first kind of intro to architecture class I had, I was like, wow, if I can do something where all I have to do is just draw all night. You know, I mean, that's the thing with architecture. It's really just about how much perseverance and discipline and how far you can go with it hmm. to get across the finish line. And, and I said, if I, I can draw all night I can draw multiple nights in a row I'm this is the one for me interesting so, yep okay so architecture you get accepted and it just fits uh, it did fit yes it for was you. one of those situations yep okay mm-hmm. um, when you're done with this with this major in school are, are you pretty much done or is there any sort of follow-up education that you have to go through uh, so so at Cal Poly it's 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 one of the few universities here in the States, they have an actual bachelor's of architecture, which is a, a five-year program where you can actually come out with a degree that allows you to practice architecture and be licensed without, nice. without having to go pursue a master's. So, okay. um, you know, it took me six to get through, um, but yes, and, and at the end of the, the journey there, I did have a, a very, kind of one of my few professors, I think, that really impacted my life greatly, and he... He said, you know, very distinctly, like, he was, he was an older curmudgeon. He called himself the benevolent dictator, and he said, you know, <laughs> don't waste your time with masters. Go right to work, you know, get, mm-hmm. get out there, do your thing, and, uh, and make some headway. Don't just waste your time in schools and, and find yourself in deeper debt. Don't be that professional student. Yeah, or the professional professor who just never gets out of that right. environment. Right. And, and some people, that, that works for them. Yep. I had those crotchety journalism professors who were like, 
get in and out in four years and then go get a job. Yep. Go out into the real world because the most best experience I've ever received in this profession was right here mm-hmm. at KTVL. Absolutely. And it's kind of like graduate school in a sense. You make a whole bunch of mistakes and it doesn't really matter because you're 22 and dumb. And, yes. you know, you can yep. just kind of make up for it later. Yep. So you're done in six years. I was, yep. You get right to work. Uh, you know, it was a it's quite a journey in between there. I, I spent some time over, I kind of traveled through Japan and Turkey and, and school in Denmark. And then at at one point there, I had pretty much just dropped out of school altogether. I felt like I was done with it. And mm-hmm. then um, I had my first daughter uh, with um, my wife. And that kind of threw me right back into school again to finish up. So it was kind of like in between all that, there was... There was a lot that happened, and, and thankfully, um, having that that drive and um, perseverance there at the end, and then having to also support a family, it it really put my feet right to the fire. So nothing like a kid to really <laughs> get your butt in gear, right? Yep. Um, where'd you meet your wife? Uh, so we met in San Luis as well. Oh, okay. Yep, she is a, um, a ceramic artist, and she was uh, at school down there in Cuesta. And uh, when I kind of went to school overseas and traveled abroad, you know, it was your it was your kind of like pen pal romance mm. type of thing. So over email, right, instead of mailed stamped letters, okay. but it yeah. counts. Yeah, Ele- it electronic love letters they yes. absolutely count, and yep. so much quicker. <laughs> yes, and a nice way to build a relationship too. It 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 really allowed us, I think, to find. And kind of set that foundation that's re- that's really carried us through over the last 14 years as well. Awesome. I was going to ask your goal going into all of this was it to build homes? Did you want to build structures? What what was kind of your like kind of goal? The 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 light for you. Social housing has always been a big push. Awesome. Yep. And um, you know that was what I was studying in in Copenhagen. Um, they've got some really interesting like housing models and formats that they've used there. Uh, I think it was that same that same professor was Bilgi Dinell, and he he came from Turkey, and so he had seen the need for housing on a huge scale. You know, he's he was looking at housing hundreds of thousands of people, and that's something the mind can't even, my mind can't even really comprehend that. Same. Yeah, here in rural Southern Oregon, you know, we deal with needing to house communities or needing to provide shelter and housing on a much smaller scale. But um, I think the rules and the and the goals are the same. You know, that's such an interesting point because you look at Southern Oregon and Northern California, specifically our viewing area here, housing is such a huge issue. Mm-hmm. And for those who do have housing, half of them can't even afford it. Correct. It's heartbreaking. Yes. How do you survive as a human if you can barely afford your apartment or your house, or you can't even find one. Yes, and it's a, it's, I wouldn't say it's a crisis, but it's like approaching that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and even building up, you know, we when we came back up here um, to find work and start our life, a big part of that was we were kind of bridging the like northern rural Siskiyou County with industrial kind of Southern Oregon, Medford, Ashland, because there is commerce there and there is architecture. There's not much architecture in Siskiyou County. Um, So it was kind of looking at these epicenters. It was like either we're going to Reading for work or we're going to to Medford, Ashland for work. And uh, we live in the middle. So 
um, we're able to sort of take advantage of a, of a somewhat um, more modest housing market while engaging with these centers of commerce. Uh, I, think, I think when you're trying to live in the center of these cities, you're, you're seeing much higher, much higher bills, much higher cost of living, and um, that makes it difficult. Yeah, so what was the motivation behind moving to Southern Oregon? Um, it, you know, I, I've worked, I worked in Reading uh, for a summer going up through high school, and it just is too hot. I think I have to say like I was that was in the back of my mind. I'm like I know you it, Reading had to be the heat. Yes. Yeah, and Southern Oregon is just beautiful. I love I love the water, I love the mountains, mm -hmm. I love the I love the people up here. It's it's wonderful. So So you guys moved to Ashland immediately then? Or uh, yep, and we we you know what was that? I want to say it was 2006, 2007. And we got our foothold up here. I, I got hired. I started work with uh, Ray Kistler, um, architect, mm -hmm. and that sort of opened the door there. You know, Ray gave me a, a kind of foothold to start and, and taught me an incredible amount. And then, then I was with, with Ray as he formed um, Kistler Small White, the architectural practice there. And, and um, you know, Matt Small and Jerome White were very formative uh, teachers all the way through um, kind of stepping out on my own in 2012. Okay, I was going to ask. You stepped out. You opened your own firm. Yes. In 2012. Yes. Okay, mm -hmm. and that's what is architect design and architecture. Yes, and okay. originally it was just kind of me in a little one room box or working in the library or trying to string pieces yeah. together. And um, you know, slowly it's been able to grow. And uh, right now we have, uh, you know, we have seven in the office and um, wonderful wonderful people. I have an incredible team that helps support me along the way too. And I can't say how important that is yeah. in, in life to have a good team with you. That's success, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel really thankful for that. Yeah. I think a lot of us, we get too hung up on what, you know, defines success and it has to be, I'm a bazillionaire and I have multiple properties and I have, you know, a private plane or, or whatever, however you want to measure success. But success is also in my opinion, coming from a small town and just creating something on your own. Yes. And making it work, doing yes. it. Yep. That's and awesome. Good for you. I feel like living the life you want to lead is a huge part of that. I always tell myself that I'm like, okay, I'm either creating my own cage here or I'm, I'm creating my own misery or my joy, <laughs> yeah. depending on who I surround myself with, mm -hmm. the work we do. And um, I think just the fact that I can can wake up every morning and still feel inspired and and go to a place where people are smiling and happy instead of frowns and misery is like a big part of that. Yeah. Yep. And I, and I don't want to poo poo the people who have worked incredibly hard to make a bazillion dollars. Right. I think that's incredible. It's yep. just, you know, it's just different pictures of success. Yes. I guess we could say that. Yep. Uh, what kind of projects were you doing in the early years? Uh, I had, I had one client to start with and they're wonderful clients. I still, uh, very good friends with them today, and they they kind of gave me a gave me a foothold um, on a on a private residence, kind of beautiful idyllic home that they have out in Little Applegate. And um, you know, to me, to have a have a ten year relationship with the same client, and and from I always say like, you know, that that says a lot in itself. Yeah. Just and then uh, my aunt and uncle. Also gave me an incredible opportunity to, to work on this uh, office mixed-use building, 
Um, that was kind of a very transitionary project as well, getting a foothold there. And then I think really just having the, the family support is huge. I can't say enough for that too, mm-hmm. just kind of keeping it, keeping my feet grounded. And, um, you know, I remember my, my goal was to make $2,000 a month to pay the bills and like keep the doors open. And, uh, it started from there and then it's been, it's been growing and gathering momentum. And then I love the idea too, that, you know, everyone that, that works together towards a purpose, like we can share in that too. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really believe in rewarding people for the work they do and everyone should be able to live a, a fundamental, like healthy existence. I mean, it's, you know, as free from debt or worry about finances as possible. I know we yeah. all have to deal with that. That's the reality of life in yeah. a society, but, um, I really, I'm not about like paying the minimum wage. I really do believe people should be rewarded for their work. So that's a big part of it too. And I like, I like feeling that support in reciprocity. You know, I like feeling that go both ways where you take that out of the equation, the, the angst and the worry and the undervaluing, you take that out of the equation and let people really do the best they can mm-hmm. and, and show what they can do. And it's good karma. I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think we, we all feel that when you've, when you've come up working hard in your life and I really do value hard work and that ethic. And, and I feel like if you persevere with that, it's gonna, it's gonna reap rewards. So yeah, when you put good in, you're going to get good out. And there are business models, CEOs of multi million and billion dollar companies that you'll see when they take not even a massive cut in pay, but they make the, the pay across the board a little bit more equal where everyone's getting a little bit more and maybe the CEOs are getting a little bit less. It, it's not that huge of a gap. And it's still, like you said, it's, it's fair. Yeah. And your employees who are working hard for you, who are dedicated are getting that compensation that they deserve. Yeah. And there's a lot of models out there. And if we had more of those, I think we would find ourselves in a completely different world. I, I agree. I you think know? it's a, it's a little, it's a little adjustments and the little fine tunings that, that do really go a long way. Teeny tiny adjustments yes. actually. Yep. Um, so I, in 2016, I've never built a house with a builder before. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know, John Clayson. I don't. Based in Ashland. He was our builder and we've heard horror stories about home builders that they can be awful and mm-hmm all of these decisions and scheduling. It was the most beautiful experience to build this home with this man because he was amazing. And just, um, I mean, we still have somewhat of a relationship. I sent him a Christmas card, you know, (laughs) when I remember. But um, he will always forever be in my mind as this person who built us this home. Nice. And that's a huge milestone in someone's life. It is. To build them a home. Yes. I would say it's probably, if not one of the, like, ultimate milestones. I mean, short of having a child or those major life, yeah. life movements. Um, I, I, I think too, like building is, is an art. I mean, building is like kind of one of the master crafts in a way. And so often I feel like we, we, we've lost some of that reverence for that action as well. And, and, uh, you know, I have the ultimate respect for builder. I think a lot of architects get penned with this like kind of ego, like, Oh, they're the ones who have all the ideas. You know, I, every project we approach, I seek to level that right away and really learn as much from the builder as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how can I pretend like I go to school for six years and learn more than what someone spent 30 years, 40 years generationally mm-hmm. doing and yeah. understanding? And well, it's teamwork. It is. 
Right. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it was an incredible, an amazing experience. There were frustrations when he was like, what kind of toilet do you want? And mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know, dude, just one that works. <laughs> pick one out. Yeah, pick <laughs> one for me, a good one. <laughs> yep. But it was such an amazing experience. And I walk through my house every day feeling so incredibly grateful that I had this experience and it, and it worked out. And that I met this person who was able to be there for us in that perfect time to yep. build this house. Anyways, I could talk all day about that. Um, let, let's talk about Craterworks because again, this is how I met you a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, how did you get involved with Craterworks? Take uh, me to the beginning. So the very beginning on that, I met a builder, uh, Jeff Benton of Excel Construction. And I had, I think I met Jeff when he was repairing a door that a guy had put some golf tees in and screwed in to like get it to hang correct. And Jeff nice. was just like, nope, that's not how we do it. We can do this correct. <laughs> that's lovely. And, uh, and so Jeff was rehanging the door and um, he was actually uh, uh, one of my alumni from Wairika High School was, was working with him, Ryan. I saw Ryan, then I met Jeff and Jeff and I kind of formed a, a relationship over about two to three years time working on some projects, collaborating on work. And um, Jeff introduced me to Tania Browning. And, um, you know, Tania is the executive director of DIRT, which is Direct Involvement Recreational Teaching. Wonderful organization. Awesome. Yep. And then, uh, you know, Jeff said, I think there might be something here you'd be interested in. And um, Tania came over to my office and she kind of did the walk around and, um, you know, she, she mentioned the kind of dream of Craterworks in its inception. And um, they were putting out for RFP requests for proposals at the time with uh, Samantha Steele and Central Point School District 6. And I went to a walkthrough there at the Crater Ironworks, or I was invited to a walkthrough uh, to see the project, um, which just kind of blew me away. I, you know, I love steel. I really do. And this was like a dream come true. It was about a 20,000 square foot. I don't know if anyone's seen Crater, Crater Ironworks on north on 99 there. It's a giant steel building with a bunch of steel, <laughs> a bunch of gantry cranes. Yeah. And um, to me, it was kind of like an open canvas. And then to meet, to meet Samantha, to meet Todd Spencer, uh, everyone up there in Central Point is incredible. And just their vision and their their inspiration and, and kind of reach for, for a project like this um, was incredible. Was it the school district's idea? I think it was a collaborative idea. I'm okay. not sure like okay. if it was Tania's idea or Samantha's idea or okay. where the idea first took hold. But um, I do know that they uh, were with Kelly Roy up out of ADX in Portland. So Kelly came in in the early stages of the project and um, really her her model that she's created in in Portland of a makerspace and that open shop format for dreamers, builders, anyone that has an idea um, to create that idea was was a very like rich inspiration. And then I know that Samantha and Tania traveled all over the country, kind of looking at these other similar makerspaces mm -hmm. and formats for that. So um, yeah, it was it was very collaborative, and it's been collaborative the whole way through. So um, cool. Yep. And this is a building I, f I feel like a lot of people have driven by a thousand times and never even noticed it. Yes. It's just north of the Rogue Creamery. Correct. Um, a ginormous steel mm -hmm. building. Used to be cr uh, Crater Iron. Yes. Ironworks? Iron? Yeah, Crater Ironworks. Yep. Okay. Yep. 
Um, and I was talking to David Gremmels, and I'm sure there's so many people in this valley who their dad or grandpa or whoever worked in that building. Probably. It's so cool. Yep. So the whole idea, because um, it took me a, a little bit to wrap my head around this, a maker space. And this is essentially so many different kinds of, I don't even know, skills really. Yes. Are within this building. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And more to come. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's how, how far along is it right now? Uh, I think we're right at about that 75, 80% mark. Okay. Um, you know, we are looking at completion in late April and hopefully doing like a soft opening, I think, end of April, early May. Um, you know, equipment's being purchased and ordered. I've really always seen this as a kind of open source platform, I think. And, and from the get-go, we've had four or five community charrettes out there and open houses where we did a bunch of pin boards and like, what do you want to see here? What are your dreams? What do you want to see this space hold? Mm-hmm. Um, so my hope is that the book never really closes on it. Beautiful. And that it's a platform that can always adapt, that can change, that can respond to community needs and interests. Mm-hmm. And school, I mean, that's what's so unique about it is it's actually bridging the professional world with the educational realm, high school, and, you know, basically K through 8th as well. So hopefully right. a lot of those kind of um, over overlapping interests are, are you know, very... Um, very collaborative and also innovative in, in what mm-hmm. comes out. Well, because it's really for students. Yep. However, the community can take advantage of this too. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, it's in, and that was that was really the, you know, Central Point Planning Department and Building Department. We, we were with them from day one there, Tom Humphreys and Derek and Matt. And, you know, they really also made this happen because it's a hybrid use. And, yeah. and it's an employment, it's, it needs to keep making profit. You know, it can't just be a nonprofit entity there. It needs to employ people. It needs to have income. And then it also needs to bridge over into the um, educational sector as well, the public educational realm. And so so it's it's kind of like walking out there on an invisible bridge a little bit. So cool. What is specifically inside this building? Because it's broken up into classrooms. So we have, we don't have like a formal classroom per se. We, what we have are, are labs. Perfect. And okay. shops. Okay. And so what we have is we have a we have a design shop, which is essentially um, like a, a twenty station. So we have kind of five mi- five micro stations of, of four consoles, where you can do you know we have we'll have all the latest kind of digital rendering software, CAD, SketchUp, Revit, um, Adobe Suite, Illustrator, uh, Corel Draw. You know, so you can you can actually create your designs. Mm-hmm. Um, you can present your designs in a small kind of micro office climate as well. So if you did say you were a professional that didn't want to be working out of a coffee shop or didn't want to be working out of a library, you could actually have a client come in there and do a presentation on a, on a 60-inch monitor and screen wow. about a product. And then from there, you can you know, run that into a, a CNC machine. You can do 3D printing, prototyping. Or we also have more traditional, there's, there's basically a 1,200 square foot fabrication um, metal shop and a 1,200 square foot uh, wood shop. So those are, those are sort of bridging tradition in a way, and then also with contemporary technologies, and then also really looking at c- construction education. I mean, that's a lot of where this, this involvement and, and kind of 
direction has gone is that the construction industry is is missing a critical group of 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 youth of the journeyman of the yeah. who's coming up to kind of take the helm in these construction industries which is you know everyone keeps talking about healthcare growing 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 oh get in the healthcare industry construction's not slowing down or stopping and it won't ever stop it's no. our population needs housing they need buildings they and uh, so there's a huge component of that sector that I think is is missing in our traditional educational path right now. That's so awesome to me. There's also going to be um, a commercial kitchen. Yes, commercial kitchen, ceramics, um, um, uh, fabric, like like sewing, fashion, mm-hmm. seems, and then theater, AV. We're getting into AV production on the next phase, too. There's, there's a lot of room to still grow, mm-hmm. um, and it's just kind of taking it one step at a time. So we're really, like I said, looking at that 10-year, 15-year plan of, of right. this space filling out and adapting. And this is for, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but professionals can come in too and maybe use the, the metal shop for Absolutely. a project yep. um, and then teach and learn right alongside students. Yes. And that's... <sighs> so cool. Yep. And that's the idea. I, you know, the kind of membership uh, format is, is sort of out of my wheelhouse, but... I do know that um, they are looking for invested, inspired people, professionals to come in and be a part of this and even, you know, kind of making that exchange with free memberships or or crediting and and working right alongside um, to help kind of bridge that, you know, industry and education. Well, and we have so many people in this valley who have worked for decades on something and that are true experts and to have them in this maker space working alongside a 16 year old is pretty awesome yes absolutely. um and you can get a membership eventually like a like you would a gym membership here yes okay. that's that's the format i know at the cheese fest i think uh Tineas and samantha sold 10 memberships they were they were selling them at a pre you know kind of a bargain rate for a year mm-hmm. so they were selling annual memberships at a subsidized rate and uh, once again, I would just look up DIRT, D-I-R-T, uh, Tania Browning, Crater Works. It's out there on the on the web, and you can find a way to, to get that membership going to, to make those connections. Awesome. Well, and we, meaning News 10, will definitely be there for the grand opening. Wonderful. Because I just think this is something, I mean, I don't know, I've never seen or heard anything like this before. Yep. And I th- and people are like, what what is this place? Where yeah, did that's this how I was. I'm from? like, what yeah. is this? Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> And, you know, it's actually right there, I think, on the front lines of, of a lot of where you're seeing education go right now. And the fact that it's here in the Rogue Valley, in Southern Oregon, in Central Point, just says a lot about what can occur when you reach out for a vision and, and make it happen. Agree. Non-traditional. Yes. Like give students, I mean, give them so many different opportunities. Not everyone really was designed to go to high school for four years and then college for four years and then be done and go into the workforce. Right. We're yep. just, it just doesn't, it's not a thing anymore. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I call it a, I call it traditional, non-traditional mm-hmm. or non-traditional tradition maybe mm-hmm. because it's really, it's like going back to that apprenticeship crafting model Yeah. where if you had a love for something that you knew as a child and you can follow that and you can step out into the world and, and not lose that time, not lose that traction, not get disillusioned out there. You can come right out of your your 17 18 year old kind of journey and and keep going 
For sure. Yeah. It's super cool. I'm, I'm really digging this Crater Works, and I'm excited for our viewers and listeners to learn more about it as it gets finished. So um, we're going to wrap up a little bit, um, but I have to ask you about your dreads. Okay. <laughs> I know it's, it's one of those annoying things you're probably like, ugh, it's the first thing maybe people notice about you. How long has this been? Uh, it's been 14 years. 14 years. Yep. What was the motivation to start? You know, it was really, I think when I did go back into the world, as you would say, right. like after I was like, okay, got my family, got my daughter, I got to jump in this and figure it out. And I just kind of made a promise to myself too. I wasn't going to like lose my path along the way. And, um, so I sort of set out with that heading and direction and, um, you know, believed in making it work and being valued for the integrity of who I am. Not necessarily, you know, it's not like you can go out and expect people to um, just open doors for you in the world. I think you have to really hold yourself at a caliber and mm -hmm. and a level of professionalism that you would expect to be met with. Um, but I really do believe on like the fundamental value of integrity and and that that does transcend, you know, appearance or ethnicity or religion or race. Yeah. Who you yep. are, not what you look like. Yeah. Right. Yep. Do you think people judge you? Um, I've definitely been judged. Yeah. I How think so? That's, uh, well, there was just one instance I remember on a dental clinic we were doing and one of the contractors at the pre-bid, he just walked off and, you know, he told the, the project manager that he wouldn't work with someone that looked like me and which was okay. I mean, there's 15 contractors out there too, and we found the guys that worked best for it. But and also, you know, really, I don't want to work for a guy like you. <laughs> yeah, if I you can't it, accept this, I mean, come on. I think it goes both ways, and um, I think when you do walk into that sort of prototypical boardroom setting, you know, there's definitely some sideways stares sometimes. But, <laughs> um, I you you can I feel like really also connect those connect those dots and, mm -hmm. and, and, um, I, it, and it's, you know, I, I'm not like stuck in anything. I do feel like life will change and evolve as it needs to. And, and I feel like the, the most important thing is to just stay true to yourself and, and in your intuitive sense and your heart and follow that, follow that journey where it leads. Amen. Because at the end of the day, it's just hair people. Yeah. It doesn't define who you are. Nope. It's yep. so funny. Is it a pain in the ass to take care of? Uh, no. No? Nope. Nope. Just like anything else. I mean, it takes a little longer to dry out when you wash it or go swimming or anything yeah. like that. But um, nope, no, no different than any other. I'm, I'm dumb when it comes to dreads. I mean, I just, I don't know what it takes to take care of them. Mm -hmm. Like how, like how do you wash them or do you? Oh yeah. You definitely wash them. Yeah. Uh, so it's just like, uh, like you would wash your hair any other way, you know, scrub them out. Get a good lather going. Nice. Rinse them through and okay. you're good to go. Good yep. to know. Yeah. Spent a lot of time surfing in in uh, Southern California there. And, um, you know, I have to say there was something very satisfying about being out there in the ocean, watching the sunset or being out there for the sunrise and kind of starting and ending each day in that way was a, was a, a profound part of like kind of my life's journey as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, I feel like, I feel like that kind of carrying that with me also in a sense. Awesome. There's yeah. something about the ocean. There is. Yes. And for me, there's something very specifically special about the Oregon coast. Uh, 
it's magical. It's kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love it. It is. It's frightening at the same time mm-hmm. as it puts you in awe. And yeah, it's, it's both. my happy place. That's yeah. so awesome. Well, I like your dreads. Thank you. They suit you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, yeah. So anyway, sorry. I'm a big All hair good. person. Uh-huh. People like to talk about my hair too. So I don't know. Hair is one of the things that I notice first on people. So I had to bring it up. Um, we're going to move on to the final three. Best advice you've ever been given. I thought a lot about this one, and I, I have to say that my youngest daughter, Tyga, she has these kind of aphorisms that she's held and these truths, and this is directly from her. She's six years old, and it, it was, um, she said, Dad, a seed is hard to break. Wow. <laughs> Start that. Um, that choked me up a little yep. bit. Start that kid writing. Yes. Yeah. Oh my I, goodness. Yeah, I I love that one because I think that kind of just encapsulates a lot right there and and uh, whatever type of seed that may be, I I agree with that one fully. So where'd that come from? That's from her. Just like were you guys having a conversation about? No, it was totally out of left field. Maybe she. Wow. Yeah, she maybe. Maybe she tried to break a seed. I don't <laughs> She's like, you can't do it. <laughs> yeah. It's not easy. Yeah. Uh, her name's Tyga? Yes. Nice uh-huh. job, Tyga. That's a good one. Yeah. It's a nice little nugget. Yeah, props of out to Tyga on that yeah. one. We Major still, props. We still touch on it a lot. So That's cool. Okay. Yeah. If you ever left this place, Southern Oregon, what would bring you back here? What would you miss the most? I think it's gotta be the mountains and the waterfalls. Mm. I couldn't just do one. You know, I I've I love the mountains, I love the snow. Um I love the people too, and and I, and I love jumping off cliffs and swimming in that fresh water and <laughs> and drinking the water. I mean, anytime I'm out traveling, it's like almost painful to drink water sometimes when you when you really know what water can be and the clean the clean pure water spring water is wonderful. So a thousand percent. I had this exact conversation with someone on a previous episode that you know, and I live in Medford. Medford water is amazing it is i'm sure ashland water is amazing not as good as medford water you guys have a real nice source up there yeah yeah and springs and you know i went to high school in las vegas you have to have your water treated because it's so hard it's gross you can't drink it yep it's so awful yeah and showering in it is disgusting i mean there's just something we're very lucky about the water here we are absolutely that's to me one of those like wealth those sort of unseen wealth items that we do have here mm-hmm. that we're tremendously fortunate to have. And um, I think a lot of times we take for granted until you actually leave and see yeah. what the status is other places. Do you ever go somewhere where it's not mountainous and you feel a little naked? A little bit. It's like, ooh. Yeah. I was in Vegas recently and it was just like, just endless kind of sprawl and scrub and desert and I mean desert I have nothing against the desert the desert's beautiful too but um I I miss I miss that snow and I miss the mount I miss Mm -hmm. that feeling of Mm -hmm. of um embrace too yeah it's same I think it's beautiful it's just not it's not for me right yeah okay uh this is my favorite question Mm -hmm. final meal final drink what would that look like I I love the fresh Mexican food, I have to say. Mm-hmm. This one was a tough one. It was either going to be my kind of dad's sourdough pancakes with blueberries, which oh. are special, but I went with the uh, the chile nogales, which kind of like a chili relleno. Mm-hmm. Um, 
traditional Mexican dish for Independence Day with like a, a walnut sauce and a pomegranate and then a like a cilantro or parsley garnish on it. So it's kind of like the colors of the Mexican flag, but beautiful, a wonderful one. And um, and then have to pair that with like a, a smoky mezcal paloma. Yeah, I think that's Speaking the one I go out on. Speaking my language, yeah. palomas are very good, very yes. summery. Yes, I agree. I love that grapefruit and the. Yep. All right, Chris. I liked you before, but that answer just sealed the deal for good. me. Good stuff. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes and you like it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us. We are also on Google Play, Stitcher, and you can ask your Alexa app to open off script. Check out the video portion of this podcast at ktbl.com. Just click on features and then off script. One more time, Chris Brown, architect, design, and architecture. You have the coolest business card, by the way. Thank you. I, I yeah. play with it when I have writer's block. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, we make those. We have a little laser cutter in the office, too, and we've used that. We love modeling, we love building, love making our own cards. And so it's it's okay to have fun and work, right? Yeah. Work, work can be fun too. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. This is this is my fun part of yeah. my day. <laughs> the little boxes are supposed to pop out, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yep. And then they can be stencils or you can mess with, you know, people do all kinds of stuff and, and play with those. So that, I'm glad to hear that they're, yes. they're being well, well put to use. It's getting me past my writer's block on a daily basis. Chris Brown, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it.